True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, among others. They'll do all of that so you can do literally anything else. You have better things to do with your free time than focus on your lawn care. Let True Green take care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn while you take care of everything else on your to-do list. You can trust True Green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise, which gives you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. Think about how hard it is to manage our fantasy baseball teams. You need all the time you can get to put in waiver wire claims, fab bids, send out trades, and set your lineups. You'll have that extra time when True Green is taking care of your lawn. You do you, let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people, guaranteed. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. High drive, center field, hit the wall, grand slam. This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Third base, the deepest position ever. Maybe? Welcome to Fantasy Baseball Today, and I encourage you to take this time to give yourself a pat on the back, because you've made it halfway through the wildest year that I have ever lived through. Today is our third base preview, 2.0, but more importantly, it is July 1st, which means a few things. First, players will be reporting to their respective teams today. Plus, we're 22 to two days away from opening day. It would help if I knew how to speak. Uh, Second, happy Canada Day to our supporters up north, and... Last but not least, guys, happy Bobby Bonilla Day. It's very relevant because he played 957 games at third base, which is more than any other position. Are we still doing the Bobby Bonilla thing? Is is that still a thing? Uh, yeah, every year. That's like a, every single sports outlet has a yearly Bobby Bonilla post that they push out there and get a few thousand, a uh, couple dozen thousand page views. It's great. It's great fun for everybody. Um if you were to rank the five weirdest years of your time alive for like the earth as a whole, it would be some combination of the last five years, right? Like maybe that's just recency bias, but like feels like things have just been weird nonstop. And this is the pinnacle, hopefully. Hopefully. I mean, based on the way that it's trending, that means things are only going to get weirder the further we yeah. go, Chris. So. Uh, I'm going to choose not to think about that right now and (laughs) hopefully think about something a little bit better, which is the third base position. Scott, how are you doing? You know, if you watch us on our Fantasy Baseball Today YouTube page, you'll notice that Scott is wearing a fantastic throwback Florida Marlins hat today. What's going on, Scott? I'm not even the Marlins fan here. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a tragedy that the Marlins ever changed from this uniform. Now they do have an (sighs) F in the middle of the fish for Florida. So obviously moving, becoming rebranding as the Miami Marlins, there had to be some degree of change, but those, those original Marlins uniforms, they're just, I, they're great. They're Chris, so much fun. You can't, you I can't love, I love the sleeveless. That. I love the teal stripes. The rest of it was a little too, like we're trying to be the Yankees for me. And also like, I don't have that much nostalgia for this old Marlins logo. Cause like, it's an F and then like a dead eyed fish, like a photorealistic depiction of like a dead fish. I just, I, I don't, I don't love that as a, as a team logo, you know, is give it me dead? Like a, I've never seen it as dead. I, I think mean, it's alive. It's, fish always kind of look dead. It's not in the water. That's fair. Uh, I mean, the Marlins logo now is not. No, great. I don't like this. But give me like a give me like a cartoon Marlin with like an angry face uh, holding a bat. That's the kind of logo I, I want. can get behind that too. I I'm will not, say of I'm all the, the cartoon logos. Of uh, all the logos they've had, the OG one is the best. Yeah. But that's setting yeah, the bar I, pretty low. Yeah, I will agree because <laughs> everything else looks like like the the first Miami Marlins logo looked like a like like a bus logo. <laughs> like a, like for some kind of like municipal bus authority. And then the new one looks like it took 12 minutes to design. And it like, it's just, I, I don't like, I don't like it, but 
I, I also think the old look a little overrated. Nostalgia is not all that important. Yeah, we it's probably dead fish. have spent two more minutes than we should have on the Marlins <laughs> logo here. But I, I started the show off with the question, is third base really the deepest position? And the reason I ask is because lots of third base eligible players are also eligible at other positions. So yeah. let's assume, just assume, Alex Bregman, Chris Bryant, DJ LeMahieu, Manny Machado, Max Muncie, Jeff McNeil, Eduardo Escobar, Mike Moustakis, Miguel Sano, and Yuli Gurriel are used at their other positions where they have eligibility. That would mean your top 10 in ADP at third base would be Nolan Arenado, Jose Ramirez, Anthony Rendon, Rafael Devers, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Yoan Moncada, Eugenio Suarez, Matt Chapman, Josh Donaldson, and Justin Turner. How would you feel about that, Scott? That sounds pretty good. It's still pretty damn good. (laughs) For a top 10, taking them out. No, this is... I've been doing this for a pretty long time now. I like to say that, but it's it's also true. Uh, This is the deepest I can remember any position being. It it is... Spicy. It is... You almost have to try not to draft multiple third basemen. It's it's very easy to come out of a draft with three. And in fact, you could put together an entire head-to-head lineup with players who are eligible at third base. Now, not a, excluding catcher. Okay, you exclude the catcher. And you might have to strain a little bit for that third outfield spot, uh, but you could do it. You could just build a team of third basemen. Just there's that much talent here. And um, yeah, it makes it, it it's, it's, it's not a position that I find myself consciously waiting on even still, because I just recognize, yeah, I'm going to have to play some of these players at other spots if I do get a chance to take uh, more than one of them. It, it's just something you have to to recognize. It's very likely you're going to come out of the draft with more than one third base eligible player. And um, and just, just, you know, make sure you leave enough openings for that, I guess. It's not a guarantee that you won't use Alex Bregman or... Uh, DJ LeMayhew at third base. Like you may use Bregman as shortstop, although I, I would argue, you know, at the top level, shortstop is also you know, possibly just as deep. Great. I think both <laughs> positions have 15 eligible players being drafted currently within the top 100 on uh, Fantasy Pros. I, I believe third base is 16. Yeah, Mike uh, Moustak is just inside the top 100 at 97. Uh, okay, yeah. So yeah, it's it's one. Um, I looked this up earlier. Shortstop has 15 inside the top 100, and third base has 16. And so like, you probably want to use DJ LeMahieu at, at second base, but it's not a guarantee. You probably want to use uh, Max Muncie at second base. But otherwise, you know, you may use Bregman at, at third. You may use Machado at third. It's, it's, we're not at a point anymore where shortstop is noticeably weaker than third base, at least, you know, among that yeah. top, like, 15 or so. I think... For, for like, the first half of a draft. Yeah, where third base, you know, does start to stand out from shortstop, I think, is when you get into that 20 to 30 range at the position, and you've still got... This is another position where I think you can go 30 deep before you would feel uncomfortable... You know, in ADP, 30 deep going down to Luis Arias at, at 233.2. I think that's the last guy who, if I had him in my starting lineup, I would, wouldn't would be looking to replace him. After that, you know, you got Michael Chavis and Starlin Castro and guys like that where it's like, yeah, you, you probably don't need those guys in your lineup, but there's still 30 players who you could reasonably start uh, is pretty good. So let me ask you this, Scott. This position is extremely deep. <laughs> yeah, you, Scott. That's right. I'm yeah, talking to you. Uh... Um, which third baseman do you find yourself drafting most often? That's that's a tough question to answer because I have gotten a lot of these guys a lot of times. Um, it's I I think it's technically Bregman. Um, well, I don't know. If you want to go down as far as J.D. Davis, it's certainly J.D. Davis, who, of course, I've talked about a lot as a sleeper, basically every chance I get. And sometimes I draft him as an outfielder, not a third baseman. But sometimes he has been a third baseman or corner outfielder again. Uh, 
again, that didn't make sense what I said, but yeah, no, I'll, if you don't want to go that deep, it's, it's probably Bregman actually. He's somebody I am, uh, it seems like I'm higher on than the consensus. And if he's there late in the first round or early in the second, I'm always taking him always. I don't let him slip beyond that point because I think beyond the, uh, the top five hitters that we always talk about trout, Acuna, Yelich, Bellinger, Betts. Uh, I I think Bregman is the next best and is is probably closer to being in that group than he gets credit for. Uh, you know, I also I also rank Trey Turner ahead of him in Roto because of the scarcity of steals. But you know, just in terms of what he does, what he brings to the table as a hitter, Bregman is is right up there for me. Scott Bregman was the highest scoring hitter in points leagues last year, and he averaged four point two fantasy points per game, which was fourth best behind only Mike Trout, Christian Yelich, and Anthony Rendon. How early would you take Alex Bregman in a head-to-head points league? Head-to-head points, I actually put him ahead of Acuna even, and, and obviously he's ahead of Trey Turner where there's not that uh, that need to strain for stolen bases. So in a points league, I think I have him, I have Garrett Cole ahead of him, but I think I have him sixth overall. So behind those other four hitters, uh, Trout, Yelich, Bellinger, Betts, and Garrett Cole. The guy knows his rankings. I will say that. You are correct. You have Alex Bregman sixth overall in your top 300 in head-to-head points leagues. Chris, who do you find yourself drafting most at the third base position? I think it's easier for me to say who I don't draft at a third base. Like Scott, you know, it's a lot of variety. There, there. I don't know if there's one guy that I can point to and say I draft the most. Um like really even going through it, I'm, I'm trying, like it's probably Justin Turner, but that's usually not as a third baseman. That's usually as a corner infielder or utility. Um, but among those like starting caliber guys, it's a lot easier for me to say I haven't drafted Manny Machado or Chris Bryant this year than it is for me to specifically say which one I've drafted the most. <laughs> And we're going to get into some of those guys a little bit later on. Machado and Bryant in a very interesting tier in terms of ADP going in that round four, round five range. Let's start off with some of this ADP review. We've already talked about Alex Bregman, who has an ADP in the first round, according to Fantasy Pros, 11.4. Only one third baseman is going ahead of him. That would be Nolan Arenado, who's going 10.4 in ADP round two. You see Jose Ramirez, 18.6, and Anthony Rendon, 19.8 are their respective ADPs. And then Rafael Devers at the 2-3 turn is going off the board at pick 25. Scott, who would you take between Alex Bregman and Nolan Arenado in a Roto League? That is something I've wrestled with going back to October. Um, I do think it's easy in a points league because... Bregman has a walks advantage there, but in a roto league, you know, part of me wonders still if Nolan Arenado is going to get traded. Uh, it seems unlikely, of course, given everything else teams are having to deal with right now. But it is it is possible, and that was a big storyline heading into spring training because of some things he said about the organization. Even though he signed a long term deal there, it didn't sound like he was satisfied with the way they were doing things. Uh, and, and obviously that would have an impact on his value. But if you're just if you're just summing it up, the five standard uh, categories for rotisserie, I think Arenado has the slight edge there. He's just been so consistent, um, and obviously with the the plate discipline advantage that Bregman has, you, you don't you don't gain that there. I think I think Arenado is a safer source for home runs. I think he's proven to be a safer source for batting average, even though that's probably a closer call. And uh, yeah, I would say Arenado has a slight advantage there if you're not factoring in the possibility of him getting traded. And if you're not factoring in the dual eligibility, which of course does come in handy, uh, even, even if you don't know it at the time you take Bregman, it could come in handy later on. Arenado's average offensive line over the past five seasons, a 300 batting average, 40 home runs, 104 runs scored, and 124 RBI, only three steals. He will not give you anything in the steals categories. But if you're just talking about a pure four-category contributor, you'll be hard-pressed to find someone who contributes more in those categories specifically than Nolan Arenado. I guess in Roto, if you think Bregman can bounce back with the steals, 
that might be something that you want to consider. In this That's group, true. Chris, Jose Ramirez, very uh, polarizing player. Let's call him that. His first 80 games last year, he was hitting 215 with five homers and 18 steals. I remember at the time, I drafted him in the first round, I think top three pick in a Roto League. I proclaimed he's a bust. It, there's, there's just no coming back from this for Jose Ramirez. Well, Jose Ramirez must have been reading my Twitter because July 1st on, 49 games, he hit 321, 18 homers, 36 runs scored, 53 RBI, only six steals. That pace, over 155 games, 57 home runs, 168 RBI is what Jose Ramirez did. Would you? Can you argue that he should be the first third baseman taken in Roto Leagues over Bregman and Arenado? Yeah, you can definitely argue it. It was... Is it something you would do? It was the consensus a year ago. No, it's not something I would do, but I would say I probably draft him more than Arenado this year. Um, you know, I, I like the the range where he's going a little more. If I can get him with, like, the sixth pick of the, the second round, that feels like really great value, especially... I mean, he's really good in both uh, formats when he's going right, but especially in a roto league where you talk about, you know, a guy who has 30-30 pace potential. Um, and in in the case of, like, his struggles last season, you know, it, I think it was his agent who actually talked pretty openly about what happened, and it was basically that he was getting shifted. You know, he – bad switch, switch – he is a switch hitter, but when he was hitting from the left side – he was getting shifted a lot because he is a, a very much a pull hitter from that side of the plate. Uh, he was intentionally trying to avoid the shift, trying to hit the ball the other way. And what that was leading to was, you know, weaker contact overall, but also, you know, trying to get out in front of the ball, I guess, to, to hit it the other way. He was just creating weaker contact. And when he was putting it in the air, it tended to just be these lazy fly balls. Uh, he got back to just trying to hit the ball with authority and drive it with his natural swing. And he was a dramatically better player. And so this is one of those scenarios where sometimes, you know, the full season statistics are more predictive than the half season statistics is, is the line, but I have to make like a ding button every time you say that. Yeah. When we have, and I feel like I'm not, you know, I feel you guys say it about as often as I do Yeah, just at this point, just (laughs) referencing me. It's your calling card though. But, um, you know, when you have that kind of, especially when you have it like explained like that, here is what happened and why, and then it changed, that makes it a lot easier to believe uh-huh. that those changes are going to stick moving forward. Chris found a narrative he can buy into. He's <laughs> buying the narrative. No, I well, agree. Also, I, like, I agree. Ramirez was our, arguably the best player in fantasy in 2018. So it, it's pretty easy to buy into that <laughs> yeah. when he's going 18th overall. Yeah, he was the I, highest scoring hitter in points leagues in 2018. So he's great in right. every format. I actually would take him as the first third baseman off the board in a Roto League. Really? You would you would take him ahead of those others? I, yeah, that's I, how I have it right I mean, he's, he's obviously the standout base stealer of the group, and, and stolen bases are the the priority category in rotisserie leagues right now. Um, and, and there's a chance he could be a five category guy. I mean, he's been it before. Um, you know, you wonder about the batting average with as much as he uh, pulls the ball and hits it in the air when he's at his best. But, you know, obviously we've learned we'll definitely take that trade off, but I'm with Chris and, and totally buying the narrative for Jose Ramirez. Cause like the production just turned on a dime twice. He went from being Mike Trout level almost to a guy who hit, Barely hit 200 for what was almost yeah. a full calendar year. It was, it was like a the 600 OPS. Yeah, amazing stretch. I've, I've ever, I've used, I've ever seen now twice in this third base preview. But I, I think I'm being genuine in both cases. It was the most amazing stretch I've ever seen for a star level level player. And when he got it back, it was all the way back. So I think as a mid second round pick, I'm always happy to take him. He might actually be undervalued, Jose Ramirez. Quickly with Anthony Rendon, seems like a pretty safe pick in the second round. Again, the ADP is 19.8. Any concern over him moving to the American League? No, I mean, you question whether the power breakthrough last year was real. He he did legitimately hit the ball harder and with more of a power profile. Uh, But it, you know, he had a, at, at around 30 years old, it's kind of late for that sort of breakout. But the thing is, he doesn't, 
even need to sustain that to be a stud. If he does sustain that, he's probably the best third baseman, you know? Like he's definitely in that discussion. And if he doesn't, it might be a slight reach with a late second round pick, but you know, that that pri- previous Anthony Rendon would have still been no worse than like a fourth rounder probably. Yeah, it's interesting. He was basically exactly as good. He was by Roto scoring, he was slightly better than Alex Bregman. I'm not sure about head-to-head points. They both excel in, in that format as yeah. well. Yeah, R- Rendon's uh, a stud in points league either way. Worth and, worth pointing out. You know, he was, I don't know, maybe a little bit worse than Bregman in 2018, but I think that mostly comes down to Anthony Rendon didn't score as many runs as Alex Bregman in 2018. I think that's most of the gap in their ranking. And so, you know, the fact that you can get him – uh, you know, eight picks later, you know, I think it does make Anthony Rendon a pretty good value. Really, last season, there was basically no difference between Rendon, Arenado, and Bregman. They were three of the top 10 hitters in, fa- in fantasy overall. Yep. Uh, Rendon was just, he took more of a step forward. But I don't know. It seems like there's more, a little more skepticism in his price than with Bregman. When Bregman, his step forward was arguably just as big as Rendon's um and you know Rendon's not in as good of a lineup as Bregman is Rendon uh but the top of that I lineup mean, is yeah. as good as any in baseball high OBP guy who's going to be batting between Trout and Otani so, makes yeah, a ton of contact batting behind Mike Trout you know 130 RBI season is not out of the question or, well, it isn't with only 60 games. Yes. Uh, that I hear would be, what you're that saying. That would be amazing. <laughs> Scott, for Rafael Devers, who's going at the 2-3 turn, how much in a 12-team auction, $260 budget, how much would you spend on Rafael Devers? Well, you can look that up, Frank, and tell me probably more <laughs> accurately than I can come up with the top of my head. I, I think it's I You have think him for 31. 30. You have him for 31. 31. I have him for 33. Okay. Yeah. Um Devers is uh, you could you could make this a tier of five at the top. Bregman, Arenado, R- Ramirez, Rendon, and Devers. I exclude Devers. I put him in a tier by himself because I, I have the most questions about what he did last year. It was so batting average dependent. He hit over three thirty, I believe. No, he hit three eleven. Three okay, three eleven. So not even as extreme as I thought. Did uh, did outperform his peripherals, but pretty much any player who hits three hundred does. Yeah, led the league in hits. I, I think. Yeah. Probably the biggest thing that stands out that he's not going to repeat. He scored 129 runs last year with a 361 mm. on base percentage. Like you look at the uh, Rendon and Bregman, both scored fewer runs with on base percentages 50 and 60 points higher. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's one thing that like elevated Re- Devers. You look at last year's Roto rankings, Devers was the top one. Then it was Rendon, Bregman, and Arenado, but they were six, seven, eight, and 10 among all players last season. So there was. Basically, no difference, and Devers is a little uh, – he's a lot less proven than those right. guys. Look, I'll just say, if you're getting Rafael Devers in the third round, I think you're doing pretty damn well. So, I'm, I'm a big the fan. You're the big Devers guy. I am a fan, and we'll talk about yeah. this with Yohan Moncada, but they made similar changes to their profile last year, mm-hmm. and it was even more dramatic for Devers, uh, where he lowered his strikeout rate from 24.7% in 2018 to just 17% last year while being more aggressive. So, he swang more uh, and swung more at, at – uh, I just said swang. I do, that. Sorry. I do that a lot. <laughs> he swung more at pitches out, out of uh, out of – the strike zone and still made more contact and made elite level contact. You're talking about 94th percentile and average exit velocity. So I'm a big fan. I worry a little bit about the splits with the left-handed pitching, but uh, he was better last year than he was in years past. All right. Rounds four and five. This is an interesting group. Chris Bryant going in round four, pick 45. DJ LeMahieu spoke a lot about him yesterday on the show. Uh, Second base preview. Pick 57, Manny Machado around pick 57, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. pick 59. Is this officially like the do not draft group? Is this the bus group at the third base position? I don't know that it's, I, I don't know that I'd call them busts myself. It's just, they are the start of a, what, what to me is a very large tier. This is where the bulk of, of all that depth of third base is coming from. So why pay a premium for? For them, when you know Matt Chapman and Josh Donaldson are going to be out there six, seven rounds later, 
that's that's where I fall with them. I, I do think Chris Bryant is at the top of this group, most mostly by reputation at this point. Don't draft him. I'll just go, I'll come out. Just don't draft him. I actually drafted him for the first time just last night. He lasted until the sixth round in a head. Well, that's different. But based on like a fourth round price tag, it's just. He was the but he was the number fifty player in Roto last season, and I would guess it was pretty close to that in points too. It's it's like it's like an underwhelming profile, and and I don't disagree with you. Like I said, Chris Bryant's one of the guys I'm least likely to draft just because it's hard to see with his current approach and his current profile where the upside is here. And that's a weird thing to say for a guy who is what three years removed from being the NL MVP, but, but his, his, he has his changed quality a lot of contact is then. really mediocre. Yes. It's strange. Mm-hmm. You know, this was a guy who was like a Giancarlo Stanton esque uh, prospect as a power hitter. He was someone we were, you know, thinking of as a potential 50 homer guy. And he basically hasn't been that at any point point in his major league career and at this point you know the quality of contact looks i mean he's one of those guys where the average exit velocity probably doesn't tell the whole story he's 23rd percentile there and 25th percentile in hard hit rate that's really bad but he's 64th percentile in barrel rate and you know he doesn't strike out much so there there are there are ways that he overcomes that and i think the Mm -hmm. the average exit velocity probably undersells him a little bit in the same way that it probably does someone like mike trout you know, who ranked like 150th or something last year. But the point is that raw, that elite plus plus raw power that he was supposed to have. I don't yeah. know if he just doesn't have it or he has sacrificed it in the name of contact. I think that, that's, that's kind of what it looks like. Because yeah, yeah. if you if you see the way his career has unfolded, the exit velocity readings have gone down. The launch angle's gone down. The strikeout. While the strikeout down. rate yeah. has gone way down. Like when he first came yeah. into the league, that was the big concern. Oh, it's like like a Joey Gallo level concern with the strikeouts. And now he's, he's, you know, for a power hitter, it's, it's actually a really good contact rate for Chris Bryant. He had a shoulder injury in there that sidelined him for a long yeah. stretch. And I wonder how much that kind of changed his swing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you look at the expected stats for it, his XBA last year was 246. His XBA the year before 255. Like he's outperforming his what he's expected to do based on the kind of contact he makes, and I'm not really worried about him falling and to to the level where he's meeting those expected stats because he's he's outperformed them for long enough yeah. that I don't worry about that. But that just shows you that I don't know that there's a lot more upside to squeeze out of Chris Bryant at this point. And there's just too many other hitters who are capable of doing what he does. His 35.8 percent hard contact rate, according to Fangraphs, ranked. 109th. That means he was tied with Jackie Bradley Jr. Yeah, I think the place Chris Chris Bryant stands out is he avoids bad contact. You know, he doesn't hit the ball weakly all that often. He doesn't get under it too often. He just kind of... So he's a medium contact leader. It's just kind of... Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a lot of like... You know, not quite line drives, although he does have a very high line drive rate. Um but yeah, it, it's an interesting case. He's not the guy we thought he was. Um, and he's a guy who's hard to get excited about. But, you know, a top 50 player in 2019 is a top 50 player, even in this context where, you know, his power at this point is, you know, good, not anything more than that. Yeah, to, I just to, don't think he stands out anywhere else either. Like, he scores a lot of runs. The RBI are terrible. On ba- yeah, on and base were, and runs. And they were talking about the him leading off. So the RBI yeah. is not gonna, are not going to be there. He doesn't steal bases. He's not really a standout in home runs anymore. He had 31 home runs last year, so it's it's fine. But he really just stands out in one category and runs. It. This is, I think, the most demonstrative of where Bryant's place is at third base and, and how deep... The position is how 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 replaceable a Bryant level player is at this position because at the top, if you look at head to head points per game, at the top you have Rendon four point three, Bregman four point two two, Arenado three seven eight, Devers three eight seven. I mean that's a big drop. It seems like just from Rendon to Bregman and Devers to Arenado, and yet it's still they're still distancing themselves from this next group. Which Chris Bryant was three three five last year, right? Max Muncy was 341, Jeff McNeil 340, Eduardo Escobar 338, Miguel Sano 335, Josh Donaldson 331, Yohan Moncada 323, Suarez 320, Chapman 320, 
My I new guess, stock is three seventeen. Like they're the, they're virtually identical. Over the, the distinction there, I guess, would be most of those guys had something close to a best scenario, best case scenario season. Um, like you know, I love Yohan Moncada. He's not going to hit three fifteen again. You know, I, I think I don't know if Jeff McNeil had a best case scenario season, but it was a really good season. Miguel Sano had his best season, so I guess that's the one place that Chris Bryant stands out is like there seems like very little volatility in his profile, but he's someone you should fair. I I don't think, I don't think he was far off from his best case scenario. If his, if his profile holds, I would say, I I don't think there's a lot of downside for Brian, but there's not a lot of upside at this point either. Let's move on from Chris Bryant, Manny Machado. You guys are on record. You are not going to draft him. Correct. He has to fall. And he he belongs more in the 80 to 90 range. I, I've said it before, but I don't think there's that much of a difference between him and Mike Moustakis at this point. Uh, and you'll notice I didn't mention him when I was listing all those out third basemen off that were virtually identical last oh, year. Know. They were, you know, in the 3.2 to 3.3 range. Manny Machado was 2.89. Yeah. And, you know, Roto, <laughs> I think it's closer because he loses something. Oh. Well, he doesn't actually lose that much in plate discipline. It's just really his runs in RBI uh, didn't compare. That Maybe. lineup's got to be better too. Like that's yeah. if the lineup's and I better it to be, and he plays a little better. You know, gets that average into the two seventy five range as at you know, and keeps that thirty five homer pace. Then you're probably looking at, you know, a hundred runs, hundred RBI. In which case, the the profile looks a little better. He's just yeah. another guy who. I think there are other guys who have more upside who are going later. Yeah, it, I, it's very similar to Bryant for me. Like I I tier him with this group. Even though he finished behind him last year, um, I, you know, I think he, I think he could be a little better than last year, but he he rises to the top of this group mainly because of name value, and I think in terms of expected production, he doesn't deserve it. I expect that lineup to be significantly better. Hopefully, Fernando Tatis can stay healthy. They traded for Tommy Pham. They traded yeah. for Trent Grisham. Will Myers should be in the lineup every day now with the DH. Uh, they just acquired Jorge Mateo. Huge news there as well. Not really, but you know, the point that I'm getting at is I think that this lineup is going to be much more improved. I am by far and away the, the one who's most likely of, of our group here on the show to draft uh, Manny Machado. Let's not forget top six third baseman in both Roto and points in each of 2015 through 2018, uh, of course, before last year, which was not a great season. I will not defend it. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is going in the fifth round, just two spots after Manny Machado. Um, the FOMO. I listened to your guys' uh, position preview from back in February uh, for third base last night, and you brought up the word FOMO a lot for Vlad, and I think that's a good way to put it, but is it is FOMO enough of a reason to use a borderline fifth, sixth-round pick on Vladimir Guerrero Jr.? Like, if What's his best-case scenario? In one league, if you're only playing in one league, you can't draft Vladimir Guerrero at this price. If, like us, or you know, like some other people out there, if you play in five, you probably should try to get Vladimir Guerrero on one of your t- rosters. If you play, you know, like us, we're, I, I, I think I'm playing 10 or 11. I do have Vladimir Guerrero in a couple of them. And it, it's because the most likely outcome is he's just a guy at, for, at third base. That's what he was last season. That's probably even a little generous. He was, you know, pretty well below the fantasy replacement level at third base last season. On the other hand, I think he had, Like, I think he had eight batted balls of at least 115 miles per hour last season. That led baseball, and that was in a, you know, not a full season for him. He dealt with injuries. He wasn't, clearly wasn't the guy we thought he was, and he still led. Like, there's a chance that this is a, like, Miguel Sano raw power type of player with Anthony Rendon's plate discipline. Like, that is... That is ultimately what you're talking about. And when you talk about that, you know, he wasn't that Albert Pujols player we thought he might be last season. But there were glimpses of the skill set, right. even in a disappointing season. Peaks, the peaks and exit velocity really stood out for Vladimir Guerrero. And, it, you know, it's, it was it, the home run derby performance he put on. He didn't technically win, but he should have. He was, he was the star of the home run derby last year. And that showed the raw the kind of raw power that's in there. He just doesn't elevate enough, we saw in his first stint in the majors. 
but you know, doesn't strike out a ton. You definitely could see how things go would go very right for Vladimir Guerrero. And I do tier him with this group, but given how, given the alternatives at the position that are, you know, already going to make you, you know, third baseman, one of your more product, most productive positions in your line. If you can't afford to be the guy who doesn't have a big time contributor there and Guerrero wasn't last year. And I, like he has to be a value for me. I, I don't even necessarily agree with, you know, I want a share of him in one of my leagues. I, I build my teams independently of each other. I just want every time I go into a draft, I want it to, to build the best team I think I possibly can. And Vladimir Guerrero is never a part of that for me because I have to pay the amount of talent I'm giving up to take him is, uh, is not worth it. And I understand base best case scenario, he could outperform that, but I don't think the best case scenario is even close to the most likely scenario. And that's where it would need to be for the, for the investment. Well, I mean, the best case scenario is a first round player. And like, that's true for like, he could perform like Rafael Devers did last year. And I don't think that would surprise anybody. Right. Devers Devers was going in like round 13, 14 versus round five, six. That's the difference. Although Devers probably wasn't going this much later going into 2018. You know, no. as at that same kind of point yeah. in his career. Yeah, in 2018, and, I took him at like the six seven turn in one of my leagues. And let's be clear, as good a prospect as Rafael Devers was, Vlad is better. Was not Vladimir Guerrero. Vladimir Guerrero was you know, we we kind of throw the term generational prospect around a lot, and I think it's been applied to uh Wander Franco this year, and it's been applied to Chris Bryant in the past, and yada yada yada. Vladimir Guerrero, his 2018 season in the minors is one of, if not the best hitting seasons you know, we've ever seen from a minor leaguer when you take into account age and level. And so, yeah, you know, I, I called him the best hitter hitting prospect I've ever seen. Yeah. There we go. Three, three I've ever <laughs> seen in this and podcast. So, and so, you know, when, you know, I mentioned Albert Pujols, that's a lofty comparison. Albert Pujols is maybe the greatest right-handed hitter in the history of baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is the kind of impact you could, like, maybe it's more fair to say Nolan Arenado is the kind of impact you could see from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. as soon as this year. And, and they, they acknowledged the launch angle, it's not a problem with his swing. You know, what they were talking about coming into spring training was, it was more a conditioning problem. You know, you get a lot of your, your power and your ability to lift the ball uh, from having a solid base and a solid foundation. And he was dealing with conditioning issues. You know, there was talk about him having lost weight and being in the best shape of his life. You know, Bring the alarm, best shape salt. of his life. But, uh, you know, the upside here is, is really as high as potentially anyone at the position. Round six through nine, Yohan Moncada going off the board at pick 69.2. Round seven, Max Muncy, 71.2. Eugenio Suarez, 74.8. In round eight, Jeff McNeil, pick 86. Matt Chapman, 91.4. Josh Donaldson, 93.8. Round nine, Mike Moustakis going off the board at pick 97. Scott, let me know what you think of this. I think that this is a fantastic group to target in head-to-head points leagues, and you kind of were referencing it early on. They all averaged, between this group, 3.2 fantasy points per game and 3.4 fantasy points per game. Why don't you just draft whoever goes last of this group, or if you play in an auction, just kind of price enforce and see whoever's going for the cheapest price and grab that player. Um, Again, this is for head-to-head points leagues. I don't think that anyone here is really going to be much higher or be much worse than what we're expecting. I think they're all kind of in a similar range of projected outcomes. Well, certainly to the, if you start with Chris Bryan from that point on the rankings on, which, yeah, I mean, but just these to go guys over go the for even cheaper. So that's why I'm saying like this group yeah. might be the group to target. Right. The names in that tier for me are Chris Bryant, DJ LeMahieu, Max Muncy, Eugenio Suarez, Yon Moncada, Manny Machado, Vladimir Guerrero, Jeff McNeil, Matt Chapman, and Josh Donaldson. So, yeah, that's it's, really rounds four huge. through nine, uh, rounds four through nine in ADP. And the concept of the tiers is you take, you try to take the last guy available in a tier. So you wait as long as possible to get equivalent production. So, uh, yeah, often it's one of these players. Uh, often it is. And uh, I think I think it's even easier to see them as equivalent in a points league because you don't have to 
you know, balance the categorical needs that Johan Moncada provides with, uh, you know, maybe versus maybe somebody like Max Muncy who will hurt you in batting average, uh, but provide more power and probably more runs. Uh, you don't have to pl- even play that game in a points league. It's just overall production. And there are a lot of great places, plate discipline guys in this group like Muncy, like uh, I don't even think you mentioned Jeff McNeil as part of this group, but he's a good guy with good plate discipline. So yeah, especially in that format, you just, you just take the last of that group and uh, you know, it's very likely going to be one of those few, the few names you rattled off. Chris in this rounds six through nine ADP range, who has the highest upside of this group? Um, I tend to go with Yon Mankata. Yeah. Uh, he has, you know, he's always had the tools, you know, not quite a generational prospect, but you know, he it's was not there, that man. long ago that Yon Mankata was the number one prospect in baseball with a bullet. Uh, the one thing we, we haven't seen from him that he did in the minors, he was an incredibly efficient and effective base stealer at an extremely high level. He was like an 83, 84% success rate guy while attempting you know 60 to 65 stolen bases per 150 games that's the kind of thing that typically translates into at least 30 steal potential in the majors and we've seen with the white Sox that they don't necessarily let their let their guys run as much in the majors as they do in the minors Uh, we've seen that with him we've seen that with tim anderson um but there was some talk this offseason about, you know, he's dealt with hamstring issues in the past that have kept him from taking advantage of his speed. You know, he's done some, you know, put in work this offseason. That was one of his focuses to, you know, be more flexible and avoid those injuries, hopefully. You know, if he can be a 25 steel pace guy, I, I think the, the 30 homer power is real. He hits the ball incredibly hard. The quality of contact is off the charts. Uh, and the improvements he made as a, as a contact hitter last year, I think, are for real as well. And so, you know, if he can get to be a 25 stolen base pace guy, all of a sudden, I do think you're talking the, the upside here is similar to what we've seen from Trevor Story the last few years, uh, which is a first round caliber player. Yeah, I, don't, I actually don't disagree with that either. I think in Roto, he has... Uh, far and away the most upside of anybody in this group. Scott, between Matt Chapman and Josh Donaldson, they're going two picks uh, apart from each other. Who would you take between those two? Is it just whoever lasts the longest on the draft board? Because they're well, very similar players. Yeah, and in theory, that's what it is. But of course, when you see only two left in the tier, you you can't expect both necessarily you probably, to make it back to you. You should probably, you take probably one. Wanna take, you probably want to take the second to last guy in a tier. That's that's a good point. <laughs> um, I do rank Chapman ahead because I see less that could go wrong for him. Donaldson uh, was coming off to, I mean, basically a lost season in 2018, and injuries really impacted him in 2017 too. And he's been in his mid 30s, and there just aren't that many mid 30s or higher guys producing at a high level in the majors right now. So, uh, you know, it's a great lineup. It could go very right for Donaldson, but I. You know, if I've if I've held out this long at third base and knowing the kind of the quality of third baseman everyone else in the league has, I I, I more than anything I want to make sure I don't miss. So I pre- prioritize Chapman over Donaldson. All right, guys, let's take a quick break here. Quickly promote some things that we've got going on. Uh, make sure to sign up for our fantasy baseball today newsletter. Go to cbssports.com slash newsletters. You can sign up for all of the CBS Sports newsletters, but specifically for us, the Fantasy Baseball Today newsletter. Uh, Chris, you've been doing a great job sending that out. You've been getting our sleepers, breakouts, busts, and we're going to have mock draft review. Basically, everything that's on the site just emailed right to your inbox, so make sure to sign up for that. And a reminder that you can find us on all of your favorite podcast platforms, but specifically on Spotify. We have playlists set up for all of our position previews. You want to go back and listen to the ones Adam did with these guys. You can listen to 2.0 now. Um, We also have a playlist set up for all of our mock draft review that we've done. So again, that is on Spotify, and I think those playlists are quite helpful. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, sleepers, breakouts, and busts at the third base position. 
Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Welcome back to Fantasy Baseball Today. Third base preview 2.0, sleepers, breakouts, bust. Scott, are you ready to provide us oh. with a sleeper? At the third base I, position. I am ready to provide <laughs> you with a sleeper. And this is a crowded position, so I have a lot of ways I could go here. But Gio Urshela has to be the guy. I mean, he might technically be the third baseman I draft most often, although you're talking about round 16 and beyond at that point. He doesn't deserve to go that late. If, if you think he is... For sure, the Yankees' third baseman and will remain the Yankees' third baseman, even with Miguel Andujar back. Defensive difference between the two is so great that it, it makes sense he would be. Um, then you can expect you can expect Urshela to be a relevant contributor in fantasy. And if you buy into the power breakthrough he had last year, which was tied to a swing change he made, basically wasn't using his lower body previously in his swing, was really just focused on making contact until last year and uh you know he became he became this uh he, he became 21 homers and 442 at bats he was a solid home run hitter and while maintaining that high level of contact that he showed throughout his career it gives him one of the best profiles for batting average in all of baseball his xba was top 25 it was ahead of freddie freeman it was ahead of charlie blackman two guys that we imagine hitting over 300 consistently Gio Urshela was there. And because he makes so much contact in a lineup with where he's going to have a lot of high OBP guys in front of him, I think he's going to be a standout in RBI too. So standout in batting average, you don't can't expect to find many of those late who won't hurt you in the home run category. Standout in RBI potentially. Uh, and I, I think his role is safe. I mean, there are certainly ways it could go wrong. Maybe it was just a total fluke, even with the swing change narrative there. But the price is certainly right for Gio Urshela. Yeah, especially at an ADP of 225.4. So he's going in round 19. He's not going to sink your team. Even if he is not the player he was last year, you could just drop him and it won't really hurt you for where he's going. But the upside is if he comes anywhere close to what he did last year in that Yankees lineup, uh, he really could be a standout here at the position. Chris, what do you think? A sleeper at third base, what do you got? How about a guy who I think could be a kind of poor man's Chris Bryant? And that is Brian Anderson. You know, let's just call him Chris Bryant Anderson. Uh, Brian <laughs> Anderson is not someone that we typically talk a lot about. We've mentioned him a few times uh, over the last month or so, I think. He's not someone that typically gets much respect for fantasy. His ADP is 222.8 right now. And, you know, based on what he did last season, it's not necessarily unfair. Uh, however, you know, he is someone who hits the ball actually reasonably hard, reasonably consistently, 67th percentile on exit velocity. 86th percentile in hard hit rate. Um, so a better quality of contact than you probably think. And, you know, he has shown above average contact skills in the past as well. If he can get, if he can sustain the launch angle improvements he made in 2019 with the strikeout rate that he had in 2018 when he was a 19% guy, you know, it's not that hard to see a 275, 280 average 25 to 30 homers for Brian Anderson, obviously where he will fall short uh, in comparison, especially to someone like Chris Bryant, it's just that run production. This Marlins lineup 
is not nearly as good as, as the Cubs. Uh, but, you know, last season, over 155 game pace, he was 25 homers, 151 combined runs in RBI, and six stolen bases. If the Marlins lineup is a little bit better, it's not that hard to see him getting into that 180 uh, pace range for runs plus RBI. And, you know, I could see him settling in as kind of uh, the new version of Kyle Seeger, someone who used to be a pretty reliable fantasy option, never because there was huge upside, but just because it was a safe profile, um, you know, as a low end third baseman or corner infielder. I think Brian Anderson can be that guy. Yeah, I like to call on Brian Anderson. Continues to raise his launch angle and hit more fly balls as well. Something I've referenced a ton the past couple of months is James Rousen has come over from the Minnesota Twins. He was their hitting coach last year, and he was instrumental in them lifting the ball more and pulling the ball more, and he is now the, wait for it, offensive coordinator of the Miami Marlins, Mm. uh, but apparently is going to try and help them uh, raise their their launch angle there in Marlins Park. So uh, if Brian Anderson continues trending that way, I I like that call a lot. Scott, breakout at the third base position. Let's say it together on three. One, two, three. J.D. Davis. J.D. Davis. That's right. (laughs) Yes, yes. My single favorite hitter to draft this year. Uh, Dual eligibility, like I mentioned before, outfield as well. Um, here's, here's the simplest way to put it. He hit 307 with an 895 OPS last year and his expected stats say he underachieved. He makes hard contact. He makes it on a line. He hits the ball to all fields. It's a great hitting profile. It was the, 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 the numbers were virtually identical against lefties and righties. So no split concerns. Uh, when he was exposed more in August, got a chance to play every day because of some injuries. He hit 295 with eight home runs and a 951 OPS. Just like any scenario, J.D. Davis did his thing. And uh, with the introduction of the DH spot, uh, Todd Frazier being out of the picture, uh, it, it already seemed likely he was going to be in line for every day at bats this year. And the DH spot, I think, clinches it for J.D. Davis. And, you know. This time next year, I think we'll be talking about him as a fourth, fifth round type bat, probably. Oof. I like that call there. I wrote about him recently. My breakouts 2.0 now on CBSports.com. I'm with you, Scott. I have him as a breakout as well. You go to his StatCast page. There's a lot of red on that page. When it comes to StatCast, red is good. Chris, a breakout at third base. Who do you have? Uh... I'll go with the guy that you had, Frank, for first base, and that is Miguel Sano, who actually does enter the season with third base eligibility. Uh, so, you know, I think my call's a little better. Uh, yeah, you're not wrong. Look, there's no there, – in my eyes, there's basically no difference between Miguel Sano and Joey Gallo. Like, maybe Joey Gallo steals a handful of bases and, and Miguel Sano won't. But in terms of their profile, in terms of the power production, in terms of how hard they hit the ball – I think they're basically the same guy. If anything, Miguel Sano might actually be a, a little better hitter just because he has been a consistently high Babbitt guy, whereas Joey Gallo has really only done it for one season. Uh, he was on a 50-homer pace last season. He was on 100 RBI and 100 run pace. He walks. Uh, the batting average is never going to be helpful, but given the fact that he's you know, kind of like Yohan Mankata, a, a historical Babbitt guy, I think he's like a 330 or 340 Babbitt for his career, the batting average shouldn't hurt you as much as you think. I don't think there's that much of a difference between Miguel Sano and Joey Gallo, who's going five rounds earlier. I don't think there's that much of a difference between him and Matt Olson, who's going like seven rounds earlier than him. I'll throw uh, Pete Alonso in that mix. I mentioned him sure. on the first base preview. I, in a 60-game season, if they both play every game, I don't think that Miguel Sano and Pete Alonso will be that different. Yeah, I, I, Pete Alonso, I think, is a little safer in terms of the batting average. And obviously... The one thing that Miguel Sano does not have is the track record of playing a lot of games. He has struggled a lot with injuries. Uh, last year, I think it was a, I think it was a heel injury that got infected. But he's had, I think, Tommy John surgery in the past. Yeah. He's had a whole bunch of issues that have impacted him. But when he's on the field, he is in that discussion for the best power hitters in baseball. Um, and you know, one of the handful, you know, maybe four, five, maybe six guys that you could realistically say 50 homers is not an unreasonable expectation for a full season. Scott, when it comes to bust at the third base position, let's make this one quick. Who do you have here? 
could go with Vladimir Guerrero, but I, I want to focus on Manny Machado here. Oh. And he, as I as I mentioned before, he wouldn't be a bust if he didn't go as high as he does. 59th overall on average. That's 30 picks ahead of Matt Chapman, 34 ahead of Josh Donaldson, uh, 38, I think, ahead of Mike Moustakis, who Chris compares him to. I, I think his expected production comes closer to that group than, than the group he's actually being drafted alongside. And the reason for that is because... Uh, so basically he broke out as the hitter. We know him now in 2015 for the Orioles. So let's forget about his career before that first three and a half season with the Orioles. He hit the, the, I'm sorry, his final three and a half seasons with the Orioles, beginning with that breakout, he hit 285 with 860 OPS overall, but away from Camden yards, that hitters park, he hit 268 with a 787 OPS, his numbers since leaving the Orioles. Home and away, 261 with an 805 OPS. Basically the same as those away numbers during his time with the Orioles when he was actually great. Um, so, you know, you look at the hitter profile, not a lot of line drives there, really sells out for the fly ball. It doesn't look like a guy who's going to hit for average. Uh, if he's in a big park, it looks like a low Babbitt profile, very close to Mike Moustakis actually. And I think that's just who he is now. I, I, like I mentioned earlier, I think he will be a little better than last year because the lineup around him has improved and he may have had a little bit of bad luck with the batting average. But I don't think it was he was extremely unlucky last year. And I think that's closer to the Manny Machado we can expect going forward. Chris, I see a lot of head nodding there. Ditto. All have, of that. You have the same pick? Uh, that, that stat about him away from Camden Yards, you know, I'm, I'm always wary of just holding – uh, just taking home road splits at face value because they're, you know, hitters tend to play better on the road or at home overall. So like, but when you're talking about that extreme of an environment and Cam Yard is one of the best home run environments in baseball, that extreme of a split. And then it carries over first with the Dodgers and now with the Padres. And then the fact that the move from Camden to Petco is, you know, one of the worst you could possibly make as a power hitter. Uh, I just, I, yeah, I think he's a low 800s OPS bat uh, at this point in his career. Boo, 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 Scott and Chris. I'm all right being on an island. I'm on an island for Jose Abreu. I'm on an island for Manny Machado. And look, if Manny Machado stinks, I can't, de- I can't deny it. I mean, th- there's video evidence. You go back and watch me say that I like Manny Machado, and Chris and Scott say that they don't like him. So it's all on record. I will draft Manny Machado this season. These gentlemen will not. Let's get back to ADP rounds 10 through 12. A lot of names here we've already talked about the past couple of days. Eduardo Escobar, Miguel Sano, Yuli Gurriel, Tommy Edmond, and Danny Santana. So I don't think we need to spend much time on these guys. Uh, Let's move on to rounds 13 through 15. Round 13, Justin Turner going off the board at pick 151. Hunter Dozier in round 14 at 168. And then in round 15, you have Scott Kingery at 169 and J.D. Davis, the aforementioned, at 171. Chris, I know that you are a Justin Turner guy. This season seems like it's really catered for Justin Turner because he typically misses so much time. Can he just stay healthy for 60 games? Uh, Maybe. I, I, you know, <laughs> He's not someone we've mentioned as a beneficiary of the DH, but it wouldn't surprise me if the, if the Dodgers slotted him in, in at DH a few times a week to keep him fresh. He's not going to play all 60 games. That's never going to happen. But, you know, if he can give you 50 of the 60 games, Justin Turner's a, a top 10 hitter at this position when he's on the field. You know, he, over the last four or five seasons, he's been pretty close to a top 10 hitter in all of baseball. He's a high contact, high batting average, uh, pretty good power hitter. And so, yeah, it's just when he's on the field. Um it makes it harder to trust him in a weekly lineup league. But, there, you know, if you ask me who's going to be better, Vladimir Guerrero or Justin Turner, I would say the most likely outcome is Justin Turner is a better hitter than Vladimir Guerrero this season. I think it's – I mean, if you were just talking batting line, if you were just talking the quality of the of the hitter when he's on the field, yeah, it's, I, it's I, the- think, I think you put him – he's between Devers and Bryant. You know, when you look at the ADP right now, it, it's really just the injuries and the and the playing time concern. Yeah, and the play the playing time thing is a major thing. The number of healthy yeah. sits Justin Turner had last year. He's he's basically receiving that old guy treatment that Ryan Braun has received the past few years from the Brewers, and the Dodgers certainly have the depth for that. And you know, playing time's half the equation when it comes to fantasy impact. Uh, st- statistically, he was as good as he's always been. He was top ten hitter. 
for third for this position even last year. But I can't if if I draft Turner to be my one and only third baseman, then yeah, I, you can't done, do that. I yeah, that's you can't afford to do that because it's just I don't think he's going to play consistently enough to hang at a position with that many great options. Scott, who do you want from this group most as a corner infielder in a roto league? Turner, Dozier, Kingery, JD Davis. We know the answer. Oh, it, of course it's JD Davis. But I do like Scott Kingery. I was going like, to say I, think I, I would. Being... I want Kingery. I mean, as much as I like JD Davis, and I do. I mean, in a roto league, I feel like Scott Kingery is not getting the respect that he should. I don't think he is either because you. He's like the last of the likely 2020 pace guys to go off the board. Like he's, he's in line for more playing time this year than he was last year. And if you just project the numbers out over full-time bats, he's 2020 guys, you know, Danny Santana is the second to last. And there's a big gap between where those two go. So if I need stolen bases still at that point, the draft Scott Kingery is a high priority for me. If I don't though, he's not because like, he's not a great hitter. He's, Going to hit for power because everybody who's anybody hits 20 home runs these days, but he's probably not going to help in batting average. And, you know, the underlying quality of contact numbers aren't great for Scott Kingery. Round 17 on in ADP, we are looking at names like Ryan McMahon, Brian Anderson, Gio Urshela we talked about, Starlin Castro, Yandy Diaz, Kyle Seeger, Renato Nunez, does anyone stand out from that group, guys? And is there anyone else that we haven't talked about today that you want to get to here at the third base position? A lot of leagues uh, don't have Nunez at this position. He's he's first okay. base only. Okay. Fantasy um, pros, the old trickaroo. They have yeah. so many players eligible for every position. I think of Yahoo that way, but I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know who stands out for me other than Urshela, who I already highlighted. I, I like I, I get what Chris Chris is always harping on Ryan McMahon and how he's not actually good. And uh Well that's mean. <laughs> I mean in terms of quality of contact, I like in terms of what we actually saw from the bat of ball data from McMahon last year, that's true. I think it's I think it's too early to pass judgment on him, particularly for a guy who has some really, really, really outstanding showings in the minors and uh obviously calls Coors Field his home. Uh, you know, he's his political, his playing time is more solidified now and he has second base eligibility. So I, I don't, I don't have a lot of faith in Ryan McMahon, but I'm not ready to bury the guy yet. I, I will just say if it's too early uh, right now, it will not be too, too early by the end of the season because he's about to be 26 at the end of this season. Uh, we're talking about a guy who plays in Coors Field and has a career 747 OPS. He's got 229 strikeouts and 765 plate appearances. He, he's been a bad hitter in his major league career. That's not to say that he can't be better, um, but given the fact that he's played half his games at Coors Field so far, the results are pretty, pretty mediocre. And it's not like the prospect pedigree is unmissable. You know, he's he is still sort of getting a benefit of the doubt here. And my concern is as much that, you know, he could just lose his job. You know, we talk about this this playing time glut for the Rockies. You know, if this guy can't prove that he's at least an average player and he hasn't been able to do that so far, they've got options. And, um, you know, 199th, like there's no risk, like buy him because he hits the ball hard and plays at cores, but. You know, the, the, I, I just think there's a decent chance that he's just not a major leaguer. All righty, guys. That'll do it. Third base, the deepest position in fantasy baseball. Even Scott said it. The deepest position he's ever seen in his all life. Time. Ever. All time. Definitely not a hyperbolic statement by any means. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. I mean <laughs> what do you got, Scott? I said I mean it. He means oh, it. Oh, by the way, Austin Riley. Austin Riley. I didn't get to say a name that we haven't talked about yet. Austin Riley is basically going undrafted, 327 overall ADP. Draft Austin Riley. If Austin Riley's there with your last pick, make Austin Riley your pick. Make him your third to last pick to make sure that he doesn't get to that point. Yeah. Uh, but he's yeah, only he, outfield only right now. Could have saved it for the outfield preview, Chris. Fair. 
Again, <laughs> Fantasy Pros. Uh. Throwing us off. The Fantasy Pros <laughs> Trickaroo. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching on the Fantasy Baseball Today YouTube channel. Happy Canada Day. Happy Bobby Bonilla Day. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework.